The thing about this cat, I think, is it knew that. It was keeping this methodical line, which made it completely invisible from the farms and the fair mets. The dogs would never have seen it. That's the first question. Did you take a photo? And so it immediately puts you on the defensive, because when you say no, people say, well, it didn't happen. You're on the back foot of what's your little story. Welcome to Big Cat Conversations. We speak directly to people who've encountered one of Britain's big cats. We also discuss the bigger picture. I'm Rick Minter, and thanks for joining me. Welcome to Big Cat Conversations. For our next guest, we have Rich. He currently resides in Gloucestershire, but we're going to be talking about an event in Dartmoor in Devon in the late 90s. Rich is a retired soldier who was in the squadron of the RAF regiment, and we're going to be hearing about an incident that occurred during some nighttime military training in South Dartmoor. So, Rich, thanks for coming on the podcast and welcome to the show. No worries. Okay, Rich, before this incident, did you know anything about the possibility of big cats being wild in Britain? And if you did know, were you open minded or would you have been a skeptic or what? No, because previously to the incident, we'd actually done an exercise on Bodmin Moor where we actually specifically went out to try and find the beast of Bodmin over a weekend, um, long weekend. We never saw anything and we never heard anything on that weekend. So I'd obviously heard about it and knew there was obviously something there. So, yeah, I had some sort of idea that there was big cats out in the wild. Okay, now you say you did a weekend on Bodmin. What, officially within the military? It was an official military sort of tied in with an exercise that they, come in who it was that asked the, one of the commanding officers to do. It all sort of snowballed and that's what we ended up using it as a sort of exercise, but also to sort of look for this beast of Bodmin. Really? Okay, so they used it as a possible animal really out there, as a training exercise for you to be vigilant for unusual animals in the countryside just like you'd be scouting for people or incidents in the landscape to be aware of were there any particular instructions or briefing for that one on bodmin moor i remember us putting out like chicken and bits of bait and putting ground sensors down and sitting there with image intensifiers thermal images and stuff but I, i don't think anything come out of it i think it was just it ended up just being an exercise and you know we never saw anything never heard anything so it was just sort of one of those, yeah, we've been out and we've done what we needed to do. Um, but yeah. Did you all take it seriously or did some of the guys think it was a bit of a, a lost cause yeah, yeah, anyway? Yeah. What was the attitude to the topic? I think some people took it a bit serious and some people took it as a bit of a joke and a bit of a jolly bit of a jolly weekend, really. So like I say, nothing come of that one. So, Do you know if the military still do that, do you think? I don't know. I wouldn't have thought they do now. I say this is going back a long time when um, things were a lot different. I wouldn't have thought they do now. And of course, the instruments and facilities and technology you had those days would all be well superseded now, wouldn't it? It'd be much higher grade stuff. Yeah, yeah, it would be. I, I think the, the thermal images were sort of the first that we started using. So they were good. You know, you, you could sort of make stuff out of them. They were they were fairly good. But um the stuff now is probably 10 times, 100 times better than that. So fast forward to the late 90s. You were primed on the topic. I probably was open-minded. 
you know, there's been enough sightings of people seeing them. So I would assume that there is something there out there that people have let loose in the past and are sort of living out there. Okay, well, so set the scene and tell us all about what happened then. Back in the 90s, we was on an escape and evasion exercise. Me and a colleague were manning an OP at the sort of halfway up a tour, um, looking down into a valley, probably three, four hundred metres down, maybe five or half a K. There's a lot of sheep at the bottom. We were sort of halfway out. It was dark, probably early hours of the morning. Looking through the thermal imager, we could see all these sheep. And, and all of a sudden, they just started running and just all over the place. I could see them. I, I just thought, because part of the escape and evasion exercise, someone had jumped into the field. A couple of guys had jumped in and they were running through the field with the sheep, which was scaring them. But when I turned the camera, the, the scope, I could see a cat-shaped thing. And it's quite clear because the, the thermal imager was quite good. I say it was only like probably less than half a K. So it was quite clear and you could see the scale of the cat. It was a cat because you could see the shape of it. So the sheep, they were very similar in size. And we sort of both going, oh, look at this. Both looking at it going, yeah, look at that, look at that. Yeah, and it ran off across the field and all these sheep. And then it, we lost it. It went into dead ground and that, that was it. It was a couple of days later after the exercise had finished. We were standing in Princetown, the little village there. And we was in the pub, the Plume of Feathers. We was having a beer and something to eat and got talking to the, the old local guys in there. I don't know how the conversation got around to it, but we just happened to mention it. And, and we just talking to them all night about it, how they'd seen it, the big cat in the village and around the village and all those sort of things. So, yeah, they, they sort of believed us. Yeah. And going back to the actual incident, you were watching, observing the landscape through a thermal camera, were you, at the time? Yeah, so it was, it was um, I can't remember, it was red and black thermal thing. It was a really still night and it was quite a clear night. The thermal stuff was really good as well. So we make, you could make out the sheep and you could sort of make out you know, where they'd been lying down in the wool patches. But it just this cat that had just run across, and the shape of it and the sort of the size of it, that's what we saw, that was a cat. Could you see its tail at all in the thermal imaging? That's what made me think it was a cat because it had, you know, like a people say like you see the, the domestic cat out it holds its towel yeah it was like that but it, it was just bigger like a, obviously a big cat if you put it up to a, one of the sheep it was of a very similar size longer but height wise it was probably same size and do you think it was trying to snaffle one did it seem to be in a predatory mood or did the sheep just freak out because it was there you know how they sort of how you see a cat sort of stalk the first sighting of it, it was like in that crouch stalk mode and it stood up and then all the sheep were like legging it. And then we just lost sight to it as it went into the dead ground. So it was only, a, I don't know, a couple of seconds probably we actually saw it for. But, you know, long enough for both of us to keep going, oh, look at that. Yeah, look at that. Yeah, and, and the reaction of the sheep you saw, obviously, which reinforced it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think it was successful? Do you think it probably got one? I don't know. It may have done. It was quite, what I say, it wasn't, wasn't that far away, but it didn't seem to be running fast enough or to catch them because the sheep were pretty, they looked pretty nifty across the thing. And it just seemed to sort of walk quite slowly after it stopped its stalking and it sort of stood up and sort of walked. It didn't run. So, yeah, I, I don't know if it would have done or we didn't go down and check afterwards anyway. I wonder if it was actually in a full attack mode because often they stay invisible and crouch down and keep low and out of sight to get a proper 
full throttle ambush if they are going to take one out. It may have been that it was just walking past and postured because it thought, hang on. Yeah, seen them. So I might have a chance and see them run and just thought, no, I haven't. And then yes. stood up and carried on on its way. Yeah. Yeah, it's sounding more like that, to be honest, because when they mean business, <laughs> it's a bit different than they, they normally, you yeah. know, especially sheep. With deer, it's a bit different. They're not always often successful with deer because deer got that bounding and then they leap. Yeah, yeah. Unless it really gets really close for a quick spring. But uh, with sheep, it's obviously more you know successful. The, the ratio of, of attacks to hits yeah, are yeah. more successful. What sort of distance away uh, from it were you? It's probably less than half a K, probably three, four hundred metres, I suppose. Maybe less than that because it was quite, you know, it was quite detailed. From what I can remember, it was quite clear. Yeah, probably around two, three hundred metres. And of course, the way that the thermal imaging shows up on the camera, you presumably are not able to identify the actual colour of the animal. No, no, because it's, it's either, you can, I can't remember how it even works now because it's so long ago. I remember you can even have the background as red and the heat source is black or the background is black and the heat source is red. It, it wouldn't pick up detail. It, you'll just have the shape of whatever you're looking at. What was the standout thing about it? You know, if you had to say, I knew it was a cat because, was it shape and movement and attitude or was there one thing more than anything else? It's the shape and the tail. Okay, yeah. And the erection of the sheep. Yeah, and the erection of the sheep, yeah. <laughs> Although a person jumping in the field could have done that. But yeah, but it's the way that that come into the scene just after they all legged it, so. Okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Panic mode and then the predator turns up. Yeah. You say you had a chat with the locals in the pub and they sort of believed you because they themselves yeah. had seen things uh, locally. Now, what about your, your colleagues, your fellow soldiers? What kind of attitudes and reactions did you get amongst them? Just a bit of piss-taking. <laughs> yeah, piss-taking, really. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, whatever. <laughs> you did uh, brave it and tell them, though? Yeah, 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 of course you did, yeah. Yeah, do you think some of them probably believed you anyway? Yeah, I think they may have done. They may have done. Through the grapevine in that military sort of setup, did you pick up any other reports of unusual things, especially big cats, that people had seen on Dartmoor or Bodmin at all? You can get interested in those sorts of things in the military. Perhaps I did, to be honest. Um, that, that was the only sort of that I had with it. Um, but no, I've never heard it from other regiments or other people. Just to clarify about the, um, the RAF context, this was a ground-based uh, infantry division of the RAF, is it? Yes, um, RAF regiment, they protect airfields, take airfields and, you know, um, and all that sort of thing, um, patrolling outside perimeters of airfields. As a tough military guy, emotionally, how did that make you feel at the time and on reflection, having seen a big cat in the wild in Britain? What did you reckon on it? I don't know, really. Um, I didn't really think much of it after I saw it. We told the guys down the pub and had a you know, chat with them, but to be honest, I didn't really think much to it. I just, yeah, I saw a big cat in the, in the wild. And like you say, you, you do hear stories, don't you? And you've heard all the things in the paper of people sighting them. So you think, yeah, maybe there, there, you know, there probably is some cats out there, and I, I've just seen one of them. It didn't sort of affect you profoundly like it does some people. It confirmed the mystery, I suppose, though, to you. Yeah, I suppose it did. I suppose, like you say, you, you do hear the people, you see them in the newspaper patterns, don't you, of people with photos and they've seen this and they've seen that. And I just thought, yeah, I've seen that now. I've seen one of those big cats. 
well, did you ever do many other follow-up exercises in the area? And did you start thinking, oh, I wonder... I spent quite a lot of time doing different things over on Dartmoor, training exercises. Um, yeah, I never really sort of thought much of it, really. It didn't make you start looking for it again and thinking, I wonder if I'll see that big cat again. It didn't get you like that. Yeah, in back in my mind, I may have did, but I didn't sort of purposely go out going, oh, I'm going to see if I can find that big cat or anything, but no. The guy who was with you, it must have been useful that the two of you were together and could discuss it and confirm it to each other. Yeah, and we both sort of said it when we got back with the rest of the guys. We both said it. Oh, we saw we saw a big cat, the lion, the lion of Dartmoor, as they used to call it back then. Uh, yeah, we saw it. <laughs> so you were both looking through your respective thermals at the time. It's not like you had to share one or anything. Oh yeah, we shared, we said we had like a thermal imager. We had some night vision goggles and night vision scope as well on the rifles, and so you could see all different. We had different sort of aspects of it through thermal and night vision, but the the thermal was the better one. The night vision wasn't so good. You could both confirm to each other that you were seeing the same thing. We were both looking for this guy, going, "Oh, look at this! Look at this!" And we both sort of took it in turns, and that was only like a couple of seconds of swapping it. But yeah, we both saw it. What's your view about the fact that you know we you can confirm we've got big cats in the wild? Do you think it's cool or worrying it for sheep farmers, or have you got any views about the concept of it? There can't be nothing to worry about because someone think would have happened, wouldn't it? By now, they're probably there just keeping themselves themselves, and you know eating when they need to eat, and then back into wherever they're hiding, and and that's it. And they're quite secretive, and it's going to be hard to find them, isn't it? You spent a lot of time in, in Dartmoor and know what a big wild place it is and how easy it is to hide away if you need to. Dartmoor's massive, isn't it? It's like, I think it's one of the biggest is it wild areas in the country. An animal could hide there quite easy, I would assume. And there's plenty of food, plenty of food around there. Yeah, really good to hear this, Rich. We hear indirectly and through the grapevine of you know people in the military who have come across them doing military training, to actually hear somebody direct talking about it is really useful. I'm sure listeners are very grateful to you, Rich, for, for this, and, uh, and thanks for all that you guys do in uh, the military. You know, we're obviously all very grateful to you, and it's better guys like you do it than wimps like me. You'd be useless. So. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> Great. Really good for you to come on the podcast, Rich. Thanks ever so much indeed. No worries. Thanks a lot. For our next report, we have a father and son double act because we welcome back Gareth alongside his father, Ray. We heard from Gareth back in episode 11 with his puma in a Gateshead Park sighting. And for this session, we are also joined by Ray, Gareth's dad, because Ray had a sighting of a large black cat both in Britain and in France. Gareth and Ray, welcome. It's so nice to speak with a father and son combination. Hi there, Rick. You all right? And that's Gareth. Hi hi to Ray as well. Hello there, Rick. Thanks for joining us, guys. And we're going to start briefly with Gareth. Gareth's then going to hand the microphone to Ray, and then Gareth is going to come back for a chat and reflection at the end of the session. So, Gareth, first of all, welcome back to the show after your appearance on episode 11, because in episode 11 we learnt that you'd seen a puma surprisingly on holiday in florida where pumas you know naturally exist in their native country but um you'd also seen one in a park in gateshead in quite a residential setting 
Now, have you heard anything more? Because you said at the time you were going to gently raise it with some dog walkers and local people, just partly for awareness raising, but partly to see if anybody else had seen anything. Has anything come of that, Gareth? Have you heard anything more? Well, talk to dog walkers and all I ever get is shock and surprise and disbelief. I've got no further forward really with that kind of conversation. I did pass you on to Lee, yes. who's a friend of mine, who saw a big black cat. He believes it was a black leopard. His sister seen it twice. It's not very far from here at all. That was interesting to talk to him, to Lee, about that. Yes, and I did have a chat on, on the phone and emails with him. I think he knew a, a guy who owned some land in the area who was aware of it. They didn't want to pursue it for a podcast episode. That often happens. We often get potential leads, but um, coming on a podcast is not everybody's cup of tea. But it's you know it's nice to network and get more contact. Yeah, so yeah. and it just shows you somebody nearby had seen another type of uh, big cat. Yeah, what was interesting it was actually Lee's cousin who owns a, a garage and some land. He's seen a black cat so regularly. He thinks he could actually um, almost tame it. When you can see it. Yeah. And I've heard other people say that. It is interesting, isn't yeah. it? But of course, some of these people just take it as another animal in the countryside to get used to. They're not so into it as the rest of us right, yeah. that listen to podcasts and go on Facebook and whatever. And they're not so bothered about trying to prove it or film it, uh, but they are respectful. I think there's quite a lot of that goes on. And I think that those guys were in that category, perhaps. So, well, good on them. Each to their own, yeah. So does it frustrate you? Sorry, Gareth, go on. Yeah, from my own perspective, uh, the only other progress I've personally made, I once think I saw a scrape. Oh, okay, yeah. It was a clear path on the side of a cornfield, which is not too far from here. If you imagine the um, soft mud, not, not I wouldn't call it mud, but soft clay. Yeah. And you can see where there's claw marks in about a metre square area. It was two foot across and a metre long. You saw definite claw marks. I wouldn't want to call it dogs. The claw marks were too thin. It was really dug up. And I thought it was just so unusual. And it really stood out. And I thought anyone who never saw a big cat would probably walk past that and I think twice of it. But I looked at it and I thought, wow, I wonder if. I can't say for sure, but it definitely looked suspicious to me. Other than that, literally nothing in this area. I mean, I do get asked for my thoughts on quite a few photos that people take of exactly what you've just um, described, potential scrapes. They're always so difficult to judge, but they could, you know, yeah, and most yeah. of them end up, well, yes, possibly, could be. Could you put a trail camera there? Next to scrapes is a good place to put trail cameras because they might come again and obviously they're doing it to scent and communicate with others. Yeah. You're in the target zone if you've got a definite uh, scrape, scent marks uh, scrape. Does it frustrate you, Gareth, that you haven't had another sighting or you haven't heard any other people backing you up on your, your local sighting in Gateshead? I'm not frustrated with myself not seeing one because I, I don't ever expect to see one again. I knew that encounter I had was kind of an absolute one-off. The chances of that happening again are so slim. But I do find it frustrating that there's so little coming out of the northeast. I've said this before, Rick. I think the northeast is absolutely prime habitat for big cats. Yeah. It really is. And, of course, we don't know whether that's the, the fact that we're not getting to hear about the reports from local people and estates and private landowners because a lot of people yeah. just do keep it quiet for all sorts of reasons and partly because they want their own privacy 
or that sure. despite your thoughts that it is prime habitat it just hasn't got as many cats you know as some other regions so there's not so many reports you know, we'll never know that conclusion yeah i don't know yeah no idea yeah okay now we do need to slap you on the wrist slightly gareth because but actually we're coming back to sort of make up for it with a vengeance now that because you you mentioned your dad and mum's sighting in the past but that was in county durham wasn't it but you didn't mention they'd had a sighting in france you overlooked that one but i think we can understand why but uh, do you want to explain yourself yes i do want to explain myself i forgot all about it simply because i was that overwhelmed with my own sighting we forgot all about it yeah. Obviously, the, the big cat sighting I had in County Durham was quite recent, so it was fresh in my mind. But the one in France that I had, it's just completely slipped my mind, Rick. But it wasn't until I heard you calling out, saying, has anyone seen anything in France? I thought, oh my goodness, I forgot all about it. Well, that's great. It's just as well I did do that, and it's uh, really nice that we could uh, get you back on and, and introduce your dad. So, Gareth, before we sort of sign off for a bit now, because I gather you're going off to watch the football for a bit, and quite right too, but we'll have you back later. But just sort of introduce the the date and and location in France, and then we'll get Ray to explain all about it. Yes. So it was round about August or or September of 2011. The reason the date sticks in my mind is it was uh, my mum and dad's 40th anniversary. Okay. So the whole family, we hired this uh, jeet, down in um, in France. Grolia. What's it called that? Etang Grolia. Etang Grolia, which is 30 miles south of uh, Limoges. Limoges. Limoges, or Limoges, I don't know how you pronounce it. It was a beautiful rural village, a huge family of us, all in this, um, this like, sort of collection of jeets uh, in the middle of nowhere. So that was the time, that was the place. I suppose I should let my dad take over from here and tell you all about it. Great. We'll speak to you a bit later, Gareth, for your reflections on the whole thing. But thank you for now. No problem. Cheers. And uh, Ray, thanks for coming on the show again. And was this before you'd had the sighting in Britain? Which came first, the the British sighting or the French one? Um, The French one came first. Okay. And, well, can you remind us about the British one? Was that in County Durham with your wife? Yes, we had went... um down to pick up a um, tandem cycle. My wife can't ride a cycle, um, so and I love cycling. And the only way I could get a cycle was to get a, a tandem. So I went to the Wolsenham to buy this tandem. On the way back, we came across the uh, moors towards a uh, concert, Edmund Byers. It was a summertime. It was about 7.30, 8 o'clock at night. It was a were blue skies, sunshine, in pleasant, a pleasant summer evening, visibility, very good. And um, I had the motorhome, and we had the um, tandem on the back, and we're travelling back from Wilsonham towards Concert. And I looked ahead, and I said, the man, look at that black dog, you know, on the road. It was about maybe 100 yards ahead of me. And man says, well, where's the owner? So we're looking around for an owner. We couldn't see any humans about, you know. So as we got closer, I then realised how big it was. <laughs> and, it, and it wasn't a dog. It was a large black cat. Now, what happened was, as I approached it, you expected it to, you know, be in a motorhome, noisy. You expected it to run away, you know, off route direction. And you got to realise it's just a, um, 
well, I don't want to say a single track, but it's a very, very narrow road. And the camp was taking up most of the road because of the width of it. And as I was approaching this, um, what I thought was a dog, and I realised it was a black cat, it ran parallel with the camper van. And I was doing about, I don't know, 20, 25 miles an hour. And it kept pace, you know, with the camper van running alongside the camper van. So from looking out the front window, I'm now looking out the, out the side window, and the cat's run parallel with me for about, oh, maybe it's 100 yards. We've heard that kind of um, report, well, certainly I've had a couple of times. In fact, the lady from Kintyre, in the Kintyre episode, uh, lady had that situation, and that one was a sandy brown puma cougar mountain lion type of one. Your one, if it was black, would be, call it a black panther or potentially a black leopard. There are sort of other people saying they've had the same thing of one running parallel with the car, with the car going at low speed in a remote, narrow rural track or rural road. So what did you gauge its behaviour was? Why was it doing that, do you think? Well, I think it was frightened. It was frightened. It was trying to run away from the camp. camp. That's what I think was happening. Um, But when it realised that it couldn't outpace the speed of the camper, then it decided after about 100 yards, it shot off to the right and started running through the purple heather away from the camper. We watched it until it was um, basically out of sight because I, I brought the camper van to a stop. It's such a quiet road. No, nothing come the wards, There's nothing come from behind. I brought the camper van to a stop and watched it until it ran through the heather until it was eventually out of sight. And you both saw it very clearly then? Yes, me and my wife both saw it very clearly. We just couldn't believe what we saw. Yeah. I remember Gareth explaining this now on the show. You get a good view of the tail, did you? Yes, very long tail, quite thick, quite a thick tail. I would say if it was let the tail down, it would be dragging you know, along the floor, but obviously it keeps its tail from the floor by about maybe somewhere between six to nine inches. It keeps its tail off the floor despite it being so long. Yeah, and what sort of scale would you say it was? Um, scale, are you talking about length? The body, the body mass of the of the animal. Yeah, I would I, w- I would say it was a region of between five six foot in length. Could it have been a freshly released or freshly escaped one, or do you think it was wild and had grown up there? Basically, I mean, difficult question. But what was your hunch? Difficult question. It was in prime condition. It, it didn't look as though it'd been you know short of food or water. The coat was very black, very silky, and it looked as though could have escaped out of somebody's, you know, pen, the condition it looked. I was thinking if it was living wild, it may be, you know, thin around the rib area because of lack of food or lack, lack of, you know, water, things like that. But it didn't seem that way. You think if somebody had a beautiful black cat in their home and they kept it in immaculate condition and they've opened the door and let it out, that's what it looked like. Although they can often be couch potatoes in that situation and a little bit overweight. I mean, in, in the wild, they are very slim and athletic. It's tricky to know, isn't it? But it, it looked confident anyway for, to you. Oh, extremely confident. It had, 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 you know, I wouldn't say it had any fear of us. I would say if any fear it had was the fear of the, the noise of the vehicle and the size of the vehicle. That was probably fear. I don't think it was us, if that makes sense. Okay, and incredible that you've seen one in France, family anniversary holiday in what, Midwest France, is that right? Yes, that's right. 
I think the place is classed as um, Itang Grolia. Um, I think the word Itang means um, lake in French, and it's very close to a place. The nearest town, I would say, was um, Busserolles. That's the nearest village or town next to Itang Grolia. It's a very um, farm-like, rural-type place. Lots of lakes in the area, quite isolated. The gîte we were stopping in was English-owned. His wife was uh, French. It had something like about probably 10 rooms. I think it may be about 30 of us there. Best friend since school, Brian Mack, he was with us. And he uh, enjoys watching birds. And he was carrying you know, binoculars, binoculars with him. Gareth's friend, Nathan, who lives in Stanley, he was with us as well. So we decided to go looking for uh, bird watching, really. And as we came out of the jet onto the main road, we could see across in the field about 200 yards away. At first, we thought it was an alzation, but looking at the size of it, we realised it was bigger than a dog. We stood and watched the cat for maybe three, four, five minutes, maybe. My wife came out thinking we'd spotted a a bird. Um, <laughs> so she says, what, what are you looking at? And I said, look across there, there's a cat. And uh, by the time she zoomed in to where the cat was, the cat by that time was leaving, but she did see it um, before it left. So re- really, it was four persons in all. So my best friend from school, Brian Marek, uh, he's the one who had the, had the binoculars. Then Gar's friend, Nathan, he was with us. He saw it. I saw it myself, and my wife saw it. So what we did is, my wife went back into the area where we were staying. Us three lads decided to cross the fence and walk across the field to where we saw the cat in the hopes of maybe trying to get another viewing. When I got to the tree, the tree looked quite thin, you know, 200 yards. But when we got to the tree, the tree was maybe between two, two and a half feet wide. And then that started giving us some dimensions then of the size of the cat because the, the cat was standing you know, long ways to the tree and the tree was right in the centre of the cat. So the back end of the cat and the front end of the cat was wider than the tree. So I'm thinking, well, the tree's two to two and a half foot. You've got to multiply that by three and you're getting some idea what length of the cat was, which tells us that it definitely, you know, it wasn't the dog. And plus the way it moved, as you know, cats have got a quite a, a heavy front shoulder and then the, the back seems to drop and slip away. And then they've got a back hind that's quite high as well. The head seems to drop as well, you know, from the shoulders when, when they slip away hiding. Its movements was definitely the movements of a cat. And it was a big cat. Again, it, it was black in colour. And um, the reason why I know that for, because the tree was brown and nowhere did the cat camouflage into the tree. Did you all think it was about that scale anyway from the distance you first saw it and the visit to the tree confirmed that it was indeed large and roughly what you thought it was in the first place? Well, at first, one or two of us are saying, is it a dog? You know, is that a dog up there? Because it's 200 yards away. And then... We said, no, no, it's too big for a dog. We realised that pretty quick. It was too big for a dog. And then as we started zooming in with binoculars, 
Brian was saying, oh, it's a cut, a big cut. And then once he said that, then once he said that with binoculars, it's a big cut, we start realizing by the size and the shape of it, it was a big cut. So all 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 three of us start walking towards the, the where the cut was. And when we got to see the size of the girth of the tree, we realized how big it was because at 200 yards, the tree only looked about a foot wide. But by the time you travel 200 yards and get the tree, you realize the tree's girth is about two, two and a half foot wide. And if the cut is covered in the tree, the same distance that I say to the tree, you're multiplying that, you're talking about six, seven foot distance of the length you know, of the cut. The view through the binoculars, did that reveal any markings or did he see it as a jet black animal? And did he see a good view of the tail? Through the binoculars, he said, it's definitely a cut. He knew straight away through the binoculars it was a cut. We had suspicions that it was a cut by the size. He confirmed it, you know, being a twitcher, looking for birds. You can imagine the quality of the binoculars. I think he paid about £350 for these binoculars. So that's why we start moving towards the cut to try and get a closer look. And I think that probably frightened the cut off because we were heading towards its direction. Nobody had a camera on them with a long lens or a mobile phone that could zoom in? Mm, nobody did. Nobody did, I don't think. Us old hands got a tendency that we, we resisted um, modern technology, mobile phones for a, for a long time, thinking, you never get me getting one of them, basically. <laughs> it's only recently that I've gotten a, a mobile phone and start using one. We are old hand with with the Nokia's, which were just a press pad type telephone where you you ring people, and that was all we had. You know, we didn't have the modern technology phones like we have today. Because that was ten years ago, wasn't it? Two thousand eleven, when that was, and I think in them days, if you had a Nokia, you were probably you know high flyer with phones. <laughs> what was the emotional reaction at the time? You presumably heard about big cat sightings in Britain at the time, but not in France. It must have been an extra surprise, was it? It certainly was. And, um, you know, once we got across to, to where the cat was and, and we couldn't find it again, although we searched for it, we couldn't find it again. We couldn't wait to get back into the jeet and tell the family, you know, what, what we're seeing. So the, the lad who owns the jeet, he's English, and he he's lived in France for about 19 years. He's lived in France. I don't know if you heard of somebody does um, downhill cycling. It didn't mean much to me, but he says that's what he does uh, for a hobby. He does downhill cycling. Some of his bikes are worth about £2,000 each, and he had a, a number of bikes, you know. So I, I said, oh, I said, guess what we've just seen? He says, what? I said, we've just seen a big cat up by the lake. And he wasn't excited. And he wasn't shocked. And he just says, oh, he says, we'll get regular sightings of them around, yeah. So I'm not surprised. Okay. And he said them, did he? Not just it? No, no. He said, we get we get regular sightings of cats around, yeah. And he, he wasn't shocked. He wasn't surprised. I mean, we might as well excited we were um, seeing it. And uh, we were full of enthusiasm and, you know, dying to tell the story to everybody. But he just took it to, oh, so what? You've seen an alzation, you know, so what? What's the big deal? That was his attitude towards it, you know. He wasn't uh, excited in any way whatsoever. He hadn't seen one, but he'd heard of local people and visitors uh, who had reported them. Is that right? Well, what he was saying is, he says, we, he says, we see them regular. That's the word he used. He says, we see them quite regular around here. 
So he's talking to us. He's seen them a number of times. We spoke to us. Yes. Okay. A bit like happens in Britain in some situations with some landowners and farmers. You know that they don't get as excited as some people who have sightings because uh, you know that they're aware of them. That was it. You couldn't really follow it up because you were on holiday and and uh, it was a long way away anyway. And presumably it was too far away for you to get super excited because it wasn't close up. But you also weren't close enough to it to be nervous and wary about being in the close presence of a big, large carnivore. Well, because it was three of us, we felt fairly safe because of three of us, you know. I probably wouldn't have went running across to where it was for being on my own. But because it was three of us, we felt confident enough to run across the field where we saw it in the hopes of seeing it again. I know it's difficult to compare with the one you saw in Britain because of the distance, but did you get the impression it was the same kind of cat, same kind of animal, the same scale, black one? What What are your thoughts on that? Definitely the same cat. What I saw years later at concert was the same cat I saw in France. So potentially a black leopard. That's the standard, yes. st- you know, that would be the, the most sort of relevant, obvious first candidate anyway. Not saying it definitely is, but that's the one, you know, it's the standout candidate really. Presumably because of the distance of the one in, in France, you couldn't really judge the issue of its confidence, could you? And of its wildness, or would you say it was, you know, a wild, confident cat from, from what you saw at the distance? I'd definitely say it was wild. I would definitely say the cat was lacking confidence in the sense that when it saw us trying to approach it, i.e. we crossed the road and start climbing over the fence into the field, it shot off in fear. So obviously it must have lacked confidence when it saw us trying to approach it. Yes, but that doesn't mean to say it lacks confidence in its main lifestyle, does it? I suppose it just didn't want to be hassled by three three humans. Yeah. You didn't learn about sort of the local deer and rabbit and pheasant population, you know, but you, presumably it was it would be eating those kinds of prey. And he, he didn't talk about sheep kills and that sort of thing. And he didn't talk about it as a nuisance or a pest, presumably. Not the lad who lived there for 19 years. He, he wasn't saying that they're having hassles with the cats. He just said it in like a matter of fact way. When I said it, oh, we've just seen a big cat. He said, oh, well, we see them all the time. So, you know, it was a big deal. Like if somebody said to me, I saw a pheasant when I was driving through Hexham, and I'd just say, all right, so what? I see pheasants all, you know what I mean? And that was a kind of response I got. If they say, well, so what? You're seeing a cat. Yeah, yeah. And I think that presumably, had it been an issue in the neighbourhood, he might have said something like, yeah, the, the local farmers are fed up of it taking sheep or whatever. And uh, so the fact that he yeah. didn't say that, one assumes that it was sort of fairly neutral part of the scene. How interesting, because we don't hear, we're not getting this in Britain, are we, that, that these are uh, known about in France to the extent that he was implying now we're scratching the surface on this podcast with it. It's interesting to see what's coming up. Gosh, so well, I tell you what. Yeah, I tell you what's interesting about this this couple, right? You're saying that you know, if the cats were being a pest, you would say so, and I think I agree with you with that. Mm. I tell you why I say that. As I mentioned, that my wife and I enjoy cycling. You know, with the tandem. When we're in France, what we had a tandem in France. And as you know, the, the roads are very quiet. Anyway, the, the Citroen car came alongside us. And um, 
as you know, you think, well, he's a bit close because the, the roads are quite narrow. He's a bit close to us. So I started slowing down to let him get past us. Instead of passing us, he just kept parallel with us. He started moving in towards us and in towards us till eventually his car was touching my handlebars of your bike and he knocked me and my wife into the grass verge. Good grief. Neither of us were hurt. But anyway, again, I didn't think a big deal of it. I thought he's probably a Frenchman. He's had a few drinks too many. He hasn't controlled his vehicle very well, but so what? These kind of things in the northeast happen all the time and you don't make a big deal of it. So when I got back to the, the jeet, I saw the lad who owned the jeet and his wife. Now, see, you, you never guess what's happened. Now, explain what happened. Right, his wife, come with me. I said, what do you mean, come with you? She's getting the car. I'm taking the police station. I thought, eh? They're taking the police station. Says, yes, I'm reporting this. This is terrible. You've been knocked off your bike by a car. We're going to get this sorted out. And she took us to the police station. And uh, it must have been a good 15, 20-minute drive to the police station. When we got there, it was, a, it was a massive police station. And there was only one officer there. He says, oh, she says, come on in. We went in, we sat down, and she's obviously translating in French for us. And she's asking she's asking questions in French, and she's translating for us. And we had to fill a statement in about this so what I viewed it, such a stupid little incident. To me, it was unimportant. And she says, nothing happens around you, and this is so exciting that the police have got something to work on. I thought, eh, I can't believe it. So I'm thinking, if they think that is a big thing and a big deal, and then I'm talking about seeing a big cat. And him and his wife just was a matter of fact, oh, you saw a big cat. So what attitude? You know, I'm thinking, wow. If they were so excited about me being knocked off the bike with a wife by some, you know, drunken Frenchman, um, and they made a big, big deal of it, I thought, why did they make a big deal about the cat? Yes, I think you're right. That, that does put it in perspective, doesn't it? Yeah, you didn't tell anybody else or get anybody else's reactions then? No, no. I mean, um, you know, as we say things in, in life, I usually share it with, with the family, you know, what I've seen and friends. But I'm not tendency to go around telling other, other people what I've seen. Because um, sometimes you start thinking, is this a nutcase here? What? <laughs> well, I think that that is an issue, isn't it? The fact that you claim to have seen one in, in France and County Durham in England. I mean, some people are going to say, hang on, you know, can we really believe this guy? It risks making the two sightings less believable, doesn't it? I think that's the problem. It's a tactical judgment you have to make about whether you declare sightings, especially if you've had two very unusual ones. Well, it's true. I mean, if Gareth you know, hadn't been talking to you in the past, I don't think I would be talking to you about it because my view it is I've seen it, I've experienced it, but me telling people is of no benefit to me whatsoever because whether they believe us or not, it's not important. But I know, I know what I've seen, and that's just important to me. Simple as that. The benefit of coming on the podcast is we can help sort of put it together along with other witness reports and think about this bigger picture. And now we're thinking about this bigger picture, not just in Britain, but in France as well, with the, with the same kind of cat, it seems. So on reflection, what do you feel, having seen one in both countries, pretty similar cat in both countries? You know, What's your take-home message from the experiences? I've got a feeling that people have had big cats, possibly, you know, as pets. Not pets where you, you cuddle and kiss them, and you know, but they keep them on the premises, probably in a secure cage, but still viewed as their animal, their pet, and they're happy to have them. 
But but I think what's happened um, over the years, whether because of cost involved and keeping the animal and feeding it, or whether because there's been laws coming out by the government that you're not allowed to have this type of animal, which is viewed as a, a dangerous animal, as a, as a you know public area, and people thought, well, I haven't got the heart to have it put down, which I understand that. I don't have that heart to put it in the zoo and be kept in the zoo. So therefore, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give it its, its freedom and I'm going to let it out. The cat just is let free and the, the, the roam the, the areas of France and, and Britain um, living on whatever they can get their hands on, you know, pheasants, birds, you know, and, and whatever. Uh, they get their hands on that. That's what they're living on. And I think uh, it could quite easily survive on roadkill as well, because you've got roadkill, which often happens, badgers and foxes and what have you. So I think these, these animals could survive quite easily in the amount of roadkill that's about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's very interesting that you've seen one in, in France and in Britain and the same colour and the same sort of size. Have we got Gareth back from the watching the football? If, yes. if we can have his reflection as well, yeah. Any final thing you want to say, Ray, that you, we've not covered? But th- thank you ever so much for, for the reports. So useful to hear them. Well, all I've got to say is when Gareth saw the one at Florida, right? Yeah. I was climbing the stairs to the same ride that they were up above us watching that cut. And by the time I got to the top of the stairs, he says, Dad, you just missed a cut down there, a big cut. And I thought, oh, and it's just typical for me to miss it. <laughs> yeah, but you've more than made up for that with the other two other sightings. Yeah. That's definitely true, yes. Great. Thanks ever so much, Ray. Really good to hear those reports. And thank you. Thank you. Gareth, yeah, well, wow, that was so useful to hear. And really, just so reflection time now. What What's your view on these kind of reports in France and, and in Britain and, you know, in the family? A couple of points I want to make, really, is I remember when my dad and my best mate, Nathan Travis, who was with him, and uh, Brian Maddox came back to the Jeet, and I was playing table tennis in there, one of the barns, and they told me they seen a black cat, right? And uh, I, I remember thinking, I can't believe I missed that. Because I, I was like torn between playing table tennis with my nephew or going with them bird spotting. I made the wrong choice. <laughs> <laughs> so I was devastated when they told But honestly, the, the conviction on their faces, I know all, all three of them so well. But obviously, my dad and one was your best mate, and one was my dad's best mate. And um, you know, just see, they were like delighted at what, what they're seeing. And uh, I was glad for them, you know. So you instantly believed them because of the emotion and the conviction. You knew it wasn't a wind up. I'd believe them anyway because, uh, you know, kind of guys would tell lies, but um, you just tell that they're seeing something special, you know. But um, amazing that they're in France and um, the, the habitats where we were down there, by the way. Thick woodlands, beautiful lakes, farmers' fields. I mean, habitat. You couldn't pick much better habitat for a leopard to live in than around that area. Presumably plenty of prey, because it's got to have prey. It can't, it's not just a sort of scenic situation. It's got to have uh, deer and rabbits and pheasants, that sort of thing. Yeah. To be honest with you, I didn't really see much wildlife. I didn't, but, um, you know, it must be there. We're beating something. It also raises questions about other sightings. If the owner of the jeep was saying it's no great shock, you know, well, one wonders about other other reports that are not being publicised. 
you know, we're not seeing it. And uh, you know, are there any Facebook groups of big cat sightings in France? But I don't think there are actually from from my network. But uh, we'll carry on looking anyway uh, for more from France um, through this podcast. Obviously, yeah. we're reliant on English speakers, of course, for that. Worth checking. Great. Well, I think we're done, Gareth. But I'm very grateful to to you, and I'm sure listeners are very grateful too. But also keep on the case in the northeast. You know, we'd like to hear from you again if you do hear any uh, any news and uh, any other puma sightings. Lee, who I mentioned earlier, seen him post on, on a, a big cat's Facebook page. I thought it was a UK one. I thought I can't believe that. That's my mate messaging on the Facebook page about a big cat sighting. Now his mate has never told me that. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I rang him straight up. I said, "I've just seen you on Facebook." posting about a big cat sighting. I said, I've had one too, and we started talking to each other. Well, that must be so common in that people are seeing things and they not telling anybody. Yes, and of course he wouldn't know to tell you because he wouldn't know that you'd had one. So, Correct. Yeah. Correct, yeah. Okay, well, we'll keep on the case for North East and in France. Do what we can to spread the word and uh, think what it's all about. Yeah, well, thanks again to Ray and yourself, Gareth. Great to hear from you guys. All the best. You're very welcome. Thanks, Rick. Okay, before we close, we have three different things to cover. And first is a brief update from Jane and Aid. And they, of course, were our guests from the last episode. They had several encounters around the chicken farm. The big cat has been seen twice more there since the podcast came out. Jane has seen it once near the farm buildings in daylight, and another member of staff has also viewed it. That makes for a lot of sightings for a large cat, which would be expected to have a decent-sized territory. So it's a bit of a puzzle as to why it's still lingering, perhaps more than would be expected. Thanks to Jane for that update, and we wait to see if any of the trail cameras there catch anything significant. Second, to our word of the week, and we have fusca, as in Panthropardus fusca, which is the leopard subspecies for the Indian continent. And this really is just some advanced billing for our next episode, which is a discussion with Indian leopard specialist Sanjay Gubbi. We talk about his recent book on leopards, Leopard Diaries, how he goes about his tracking, how he sets up trail cameras to monitor leopards, and how he advises people who live alongside leopards. And in that episode, he also gives us a heartfelt account of the time he was attacked by a leopard when trying to help capture it at some school premises. That incident is on film, and we've put a link to it on our website under this episode, so you can view it in advance of hearing from him about that experience next time. Now, Fusca is an interesting official label for a leopard because one of the translations of Fusca is beetle. Beetle cropped up a couple of episodes back when we discussed the Indonesian translation for black leopard, for which one of the literal terms is tiger beetle. We'll try and fathom out the link between beetle and leopard as we progress with our podcasts. Fusca comes from the Latin fuscas, and that has several meanings, including dark, black, occult, hollow and secret. Certainly secret fits the bill well for this type of animal and may be part of the clue to this label, but we'll keep exploring the connections in these words as we go. 
Anyway, we'll hear much more about Panthropardus fusca next time. Our third thing to mention is the number of carcass reports that have come to my attention in the last three weeks. I've received three credible deer carcass reports with photos of the filleted out remains, and they come from Somerset, Surrey and Wiltshire. The Surrey and Wiltshire ones have involved several different adult deer, all eaten out after seemingly being predated, and predated at different intervals. Toothpit samples from one of the Wiltshire fallow deer carcasses are being looked at by the Royal Agricultural University study. It's thought that one of those fallow deer in Wiltshire was ambushed and brought down at a small pond location. Perhaps the culprit knew that drinking point was a good ambush location, if indeed that deer was predated as assumed. Also, I've had two different cases of fox predation reported, one in Scotland, one in south of England. Both are assumed to be from big cats, and certainly some of the clinically eaten-out fox carcasses photographed would suggest that. Back to the subject of deer carcasses, because in two editions' time, we'll be hearing from a witness of a big cat taking down a deer, and that happened in Somerset in December. And of course, it's a rare event to get that directly reported. We'll also have photos of the resulting deer carcass from that incident, and again, a sample of toothpit has been sent to the Royal Agricultural University in Sirencester for them to study. So that's all coming up in episode 71. Okay, we're nearly finished, so thanks once again to our guests, Rich, Gareth and Ray. And of course, thanks everyone for listening. If you've any thoughts or suggestions, feel free to email on rick at bigcatconversations.com. So we're back soon with the Leopards of India. Take care and bye for now. <laughs>